This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Liberty Classroom is the premier online university for libertarian and free market thought. Take courses from your computer or while driving in your car. To sign up for Liberty Classroom, please use our special link at libertyclassroom.info. That's libertyclassroom.info. Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, well, thanks for thanks for coming on. I, you, you know, you reached out by email, and I, I just thought this is interesting. And and then you um, or your assistant send me your book, and I was kind of paging through that. And I thought, yeah, this is this is kind of cool. Uh, you've been wearing your face mask a lot, or it depends <laughs> on the situation. Yeah, so um, I I do wear my face mask a lot because uh, I deliver food uh, for DoorDash and Grubhub. I'm kind of a gig worker, and it's just too much of a hassle going in and out of restaurants all day and them you know, asking me to put the mask on and having to argue with them and whatnot. And I, I know my restaurants pretty well, and I like to keep a good relationship with them, and I don't want to have to you know, have any hassles with the employees you know, because we, we get along well. So it's uh, it's one of those bandana masks that kind of go all the way around so I can pop it up and down really easily and it loops around my ears. And I actually just bring it to the bottom of my nose because if I have it on top of my nose, then my glasses get all fogged up. And I know there might mm. be things you can do to get around that, but it doesn't matter. Nobody nobody ever asks me to cover my nose. It's very rare um, that mm-hmm. anybody says anything about it. So, yeah. And the audience... Um... What do you think? What do you think your audience will will like most about this this conversation? What kind of direction do you think they'd be most excited about? Well, I think talking about um, let let's 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 back up a bit. Um, I did mention this was kind of an informal chat. And I do want to just kind of get to know you a bit, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, just tell me where where did you grow up? Where are you from? Um, South Side of Chicago originally, and um, lots of. Uh, writing the past 15 years on, on topics of personal freedom. Um, some of that being topics of, of health freedom and kind of, uh, in many, in many ways saying one size fits all solutions are not, are not the answer for anyone ever. That's just not how individual humans function. Um, you can't end up with the best solutions there. So kind of building out of that when, when face mask mandates came along, I was writing on lockdowns already and a bunch of writing emerged from that. The book emerged from that. And that's the kind of a trajectory, very, very high level trajectory from 15 years ago to writing the book right now. Okay. Um, You put in my little questionnaire I gave you, you said that you're a libertarian and a free thinker. What do those things mean to you? Yeah. Libertarian. I don't, I'm not too good with, labels um so i guess i don't put a lot of a lot of credence into them when when someone says hey w- what label can i put you in i usually just kind of say okay and i'll i'll let a label get slapped on me easily um i'd say i uh i like smaller government and i tend to think government is not not the solution to almost any problem um i might even say government's never the solution to any problem so libertarian means that to me i would say um and then free thinker, uh, as opposed to kind of uh, orthodox thinking, the, the idea that there is a right way of thinking, uh, being comfortable saying, hey, there's, there can be many opinions, there can be many pathways, 
there doesn't need to be one right way. Um, and every society at every time on every topic can kind of find itself in this orthodox, orthodox way of doing things. Um, and right now, orthodoxy is super important in our society for whatever reason. Um, so free thinker, I would say, means heterodox, um, willing to challenge what's orthodox. Okay. No, I, I like that. That uh, that just, I mean, some of that language is not is not very common, orthodox, heterodox. I, I think when I when I hear heterodox, I think of Heterodox Academy, which you may be familiar with. They're a, an institution, I think, started by Jonathan Haidt to kind of combat the free speech issues on campus and whatnot, academic freedom, oh, wow. that sort of stuff. But I did um, not, I don't know. What's that? I don't know of Heterodox Academy. Oh yeah, no, they've got like a podcast. It's kind of just a um, a, conne- a loose connection of academics trying to mm-hmm. you know protect academic freedom and free speech, you know, and uh, within their work and whatnot. But anyway, that's just what I think of. Uh, but yeah, just that idea that, and you said before, um, one size fits all. And when I think of one size fits all, I think of I think of dogma. Right. And whenever this is a point I like to make when I talk to people about um, about government solutions, especially when it comes to, you know, what's going on this year is and also things like when they say the science is settled. In my opinion, that is a very unscientific statement to say. Right. The science is settled and now we need to jump over to policy and make one size fits all solution. That's all really religious orthodoxy, religious dogma, uh, masquerading as, as science and, you know, uh, uh, rationalism and whatnot. But yeah, so I like that free thinking as heterodox, sort of not, not taking the official line as gospel, but as something that should always be questioned. It makes a lot of sense there. I like what you're saying that, and that is, that's like what you said, that's like constantly the kind of the Jumping over, jumping over the the important foundation work seems to be like so commonly done. Um, it, it takes about ten seconds to go from this is what someone has decreed to this is now settled science, and then anyone who wants to actually have that discussion is suddenly like a like an evil dude who I don't know. In this moment, you want grandma to die if you want to have any serious conversation about like lockdowns or face masks. That's the only possible alternative given in the mainstream oh this is an evil dude who's selfish wants grandma to die well and it, it was the same story after 9-11 too it's right it's like you just you just want terrorist attacks to continue oh yeah <laughs> you know you just <laughs> you oppose these wars because you want the terrorists to win and and fly planes into our buildings <laughs> you're a baby killer. if you don't if you don't like everything tsa is doing to you you are a baby killer. <laughs> yeah so um i'm just curious what how did you start thinking and getting into this idea of, of libertarianism or limited government or, you know, government should have, you know, small to zero role in our lives? I mean, what what got you into that? I grew up I grew up in politics in Chicago. Um, and from a real young age, I was knocking on doors. Um, I was just kind of part of the political process from a young age. And I knew a lot of politicians. I saw a lot of politicians in action. I knew government very intimately. Uh, and in my, uh, I never really liked federal politicians. And, uh, in my twenties, uh, Ron Paul ran for, for president. It was 2007, 2008. And I was like, huh, this guy, this guy sounds, he, he makes a lot of sense to me, this dude. Um, and I never realized all the libertarians I'd met in my life, they'd all been just such jerks and very bad at presenting their ideas. And for whatever reason, he came across as just more palatable to me. Um, and I worked on his 2008 campaign. I worked on his 2012 campaign. I worked on his son's 2016 campaign. Uh, worked on many campaigns in between um, as I was kind of really politically involved. But that, that's where it started. It was, I was, in fact, living in Europe in 2007. And some friends and I started a group, Americans in Europe, for Ron Paul. It just started in a very organic way. It doesn't sound like organic. It sounds super artificial the concept of Americans in Europe for Ron Paul, but it, it was just, we'd get together and we'd talk about ideas. And by the, uh, by the time the elections, the, the primary started to roll around, it was, we, we, we had turned into somewhat of a fan club. It had started with simply let's get together and talk about some ideas because uh, 
Ron Paul would put out this weekly column that was maybe 300, 500 words about whatever was on his mind that week. And we'd get together and we'd talk about it. We debated, ah, Ron Paul's wrong about this. Maybe Ron Paul's got a point here. That's how it started. Um, and around that time, I started to say, huh, maybe that's more where I fit politically than, I don't know, where, where a lot of uh, Chicagoans might say they fit politically. Yeah, when I, when I think of Chicago, I just think of the whole democratic Chicago machine that seems to me to be incredibly corrupt and just doesn't do a very good job governing, whatever that means. I mean, governing might not be a good thing, but <laughs> I guess there are there are um, better run cities and worse run cities, and it, it definitely seems to be among the worst um, perennially. I've actually got a little bit of experience in Chicago. My wife, when she moved from Mexico, she moved to Chicago. So she's got a lot of family there. And then I've been there several times with her um, back and forth. Um, it's It's an interesting place to go. I mean, it's it's a beautiful city, you know, in certain parts and other parts, maybe not. And that's that's true everywhere. But um, you're not in Chicago anymore. No, uh, West Coast these days. Also in a, a place, you know, Chicago, Chicago uh, has a history of a lot of corruption, but there's there's it's a pretty clean city. It's a pretty I think that in a lot of ways it's well run if you can factor in all the corruption and say, OK, we can turn a blind eye to the corruption to accept the fact that the the streets, the, the snow will get done, the, there won't be a giant rat problem, um, and and a few other things that are uh, managed somewhat well. But that that's kind of fallen apart in recent years. Um, but there was, I think there was a little bit of a, an agreement among the governed that, uh, that there'd be some level of corruption that would be acceptable, as long as, as long as, very basic things could get tended to. There was a corrupt mayor once upon a time who couldn't shovel the, get the streets plowed. And local lore says that that's why she lost the election after that. The, <laughs> uh, um, that's she, was no, she was as corrupt as anyone else, maybe less corrupt even. I, I think that for whatever reason, people turn a blind eye to that. And this is the first time this year, this election right now, regardless of how you feel about any of these presidential candidates, this election has been amazing in that it's bringing voter fraud into the mainstream conversation in a way I would never, never in my life. I've seen lots of behavior like this in the past in Chicago, and never in my life would I have imagined this would have been something that was being conversed in the mainstream as a real problem, as opposed to, hey, that's just part of how elections work. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. There's There's always been a sort of a mask of purity. <laughs> around uh, elections right hmm. at least in this country i mean other countries it's like it's funny because when we when we look at other countries it seems like to your average american they would say yeah every other country's elections are obviously corrupt there is obviously fraud going on <laughs> but ours are pure and pristine right it's it's this weird dichotomy that's a great way to put it that mask of purity that's that's it, you really when you say that you hit it a lot of that's why some of these conversations have not happened and why people are trying to make them not happen now. But if we can pretend, if we can continue to say there's this mask of purity, maybe in fact, I, I don't know. I don't know what that leads to then. You can live in this lie and say, oh, everything's pure. Everything's easier to deal with. I, that's fascinating. Mask of purity. I love that. That's a well, good one. I, I wonder if it's um, – I listen to a lot of Thaddeus Russell and he, he likes to talk about the puritanism that is mm. so steeped here in America. And I wonder if it's related to sort of the, the Puritan um, I say, I say purity, but now I'm thinking the Puritanism where we, we try not to see um, impure things and we try not to see rot, right? We don't want to see um, uh, prostitutes and we don't want to see drugs and we don't want to see these things. And so we pretend like we're so, we're so good, um, but we're really not right. Like, for example, uh, here in, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I understand mm -hmm. that when Pornhub.com releases their, here's where most of Pornhub is downloaded stats, Utah's like at the top of the list, right? But we're all supposedly good Mormons here. You know what I mean? It's like there's a rot underneath everything, but I think the Puritanism kind of keeps us from wanting to see it. We, we want to pretend that it's not as bad as it is. And, I, and maybe that sort of leaks into the election stuff, too. Mm -hmm. 
That's a good point. Anyway, um, so you you said you've been writing for a while now, and um, you also I, I know the face mask thing. We'll get to that in a moment. That's kind of newer, but you've also been uh, writing on Bitcoin and whatnot. Oh yeah, at twenty thirteen, uh, some friends and I started a Bitcoin exchange in New York City, and it was right next door to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, you could walk out with cash, walk out with Bitcoin. There might be a thousand people through there some days. There's a movie on Netflix um, based on that that kind of uh, experience of starting the exchange. It's called Banking on Bitcoin. And it does such a good job kind of telling the story of what it was like starting the exchange and what the, the energy of the time was like. And, you know, Bitcoin's totally, uh, ideally, it can be a, a transaction that, that has no... No human contact. That's kind of the idea of how behind behind Bitcoin in, in a bunch of ways that you don't even you just you don't need human contact, but you also don't need to trust anyone. So in that in that environment, as people were trying to kind of figure out what Bitcoin was all about, it was very helpful to have an in-person Bitcoin exchange where people could could go to and there would be kind of socializing and there would be uh, people bouncing ideas off of each other about their latest startup project. And it was just really super exciting. Um, and uh, then the, the same movie tells the story of some banking legislation that came in. Well, it's not legislation at all. Um, regulation from a bureaucratic office that came into place in New York saying, you basically can't operate a Bitcoin exchange like that anymore without a bunch of overhead called the New York uh, Bit License. Mm, I remember so that. So the, yeah. the exchange effectively closed down. Um, and I wrote, I wrote this book, The Bitcoin Manifesto, um, kind of praising the the free market entrepreneurial environment, um, and that that took me from 2007 to then. That took me quite a while to kind of understand, you know, why is a free market a good thing? Um, and and the more the more I understand human interaction, the more I realize, wow, the free market does kind of handle so many so many problems that arise in centrally planned economies. So I, I I like Bitcoin. Um, I was into it a bit more a couple of years ago. A friend of mine had started a company to sort of auto trade, do some do some digital currency based um, currency exchange. We were going in and out of different cryptos and some some non cryptos to try to make gains, I guess, over time. And that you know after the after I think it was, uh, let me get my timeline in my head right. Tw- the 2017 is when it hit 20,000 for the first time. And then like the last two weeks of that year, it just plum- plummeted down. And when that happened, it really like kind of wiped us out. And it took like three or four months after that before we saw the writing on the wall. And we just realized our particular program wasn't going to recover. And, and it was, you know, and then we kind of shut it down. And after that, I sort of lost interest in everything. Um, haven't really been following it until until lately. I know it's it's gone up past twenty thousand. But I've also been listening to a lot of Peter Schiff, <laughs> and, you're, uh-huh. and you're probably know what I'm going to say. He he's not a fan of Bitcoin as any sort of either investment vehicle or store of value. He thinks it's as far as those two features are concerned. He thinks it's a con job. Um, he doesn't really talk so much about the technology, about the you know the 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 trustlessness and all the all the all the tech features of it, as far as moving money around the world without having to rely on a regulated third party. He probably doesn't have much criticism of that. And I, I've kind of come around. I mean, I I like all of that stuff, and I know there's other cryptos that have different features. You know, whatever smart contracts are and stuff like that. Um, I'm just curious what. You know, if if that's if that's something you've ever thought about or how you approach Bitcoin, is it is it kind of all of those things for you, or is it more just this is a way to move money around like a PayPal that um, is a, is a bit um, less regulated? I'm uh I'm very critical of Bitcoin. Um, I don't like all the kind of anti-Bitcoin lies that get told the Wall Street Journal. I don't like all the the pro-Bitcoin lies that get told in in Bitcoin industry publications like I, it, it's just there's so much lying around bitcoin and there's so many ways to scam people and it's really pretty annoying um these things but this is this is just the reality of that um and 
I think I had the joy of hosting something called the uh, the Schiff Tucker debate in it would have been like 2014. Uh, Peter Schiff was invited to the the New York Bitcoin Center to debate Jeffrey Tucker, um, who was just a hardcore proponent of Bitcoin at the time. And uh, Peter Schiff did not want to attend. Instead, Andrew Schiff, his brother, attended. They were we were at uh, what was our address? 40 Broad Street. They were, I think, at 50 Broad Street or 60 Broad Street. So they're right. They were the Euro Pacific Capital Office was right by us. Um, so he came by after work. We had a bunch of people in there. We put it online. And they just kind of went at it a little about gold versus Bitcoin. But I don't, I really don't like the dichotomy that's kind of occurred, this gold versus Bitcoin thing where gold, gold has this thousands-year-old history and Bitcoin has like a 12-year history. And anyone who – our era is so obsessed with trends. And something I love about libertarian ideas is that they do, in so many ways, libertarian ideas seek to figure out what has worked in the past. What, how can tradition inform the present? Um, and there is wisdom that goes beyond, you know, the, the two hours we're going to spend together right now. And there's wisdom that goes beyond our own lives. And for someone to have that kind of ability to see trends that go back a few hundred years, a few thousand years, but then to look at Bitcoin and say, oh, this 12-year idea, this is, we're ready to replace gold. We're ready to replace everything that gold has stood for in society. It's a little ridiculous. So like gold is gold and gold needs to be honored for, for what it has been. And Bitcoin is an attempt to do even better. And I get it. Um, but for me, Bitcoin is, it's a monetary issue. It is a, how do we, this latest bailout, this nonsense bailout that's going to be paid for with, with more printed money. It's Bitcoin is government can fund itself through taxation. Government can fund itself through uh, printing of money. Government can fund itself through borrowing. Bitcoin is how do we remove the ability for government to stop funding itself by printing more money through the surreptitious taxing of people, stealing of wealth from people. That's, that's what Bitcoin is to me. It's a small experiment in saying, how can we do money without the perversions the government brings to money? That's what it is to me. And I think that's something Peter doesn't embrace enough and really could. And I think a lot of personality conflict has gotten wrapped up in the Bitcoin gold debate in a way that it just doesn't need to be. Because Peter is so right about gold. Peter is so knowledgeable. Peter gets hype. Peter can see all the nonsense of Bitcoin and he misses some of the value. Yeah, that's probably a pretty good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, he's uh, he definitely has his flaws, especially when he when he goes on and on about the, the trade deficit. <laughs> you know, he's, he's Austrian trained and everything and he... he laments the trade deficit. And then you listen to other Austrian tra trained economists like Don Boudreau, who, and I agree with him, just says, this isn't an issue. There's no such thing as a trade deficit and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah, so he's, he's definitely not perfect. And I don't know, I've always, I've always really liked him. I had a chance to meet him once in 2012 at Freedom Fest. I also met Jeffrey Tucker there as well. I met Tom Woods. I met a lot of people. <laughs> that was, that was pretty fun. Um, Okay, so you've got this new book, um, Face Masks in One Lesson. I have it. You guys sent, me, guys say, sent me a copy. May I say one more thing that will... Yeah. Peter, Peter Schiff is Erwin Schiff's son. Right. And I will forever have the highest regard for Peter Schiff just because of that. There's, there's no... His father is such a darn hero, if you ask me, that, yeah. that is willing to... You, you might agree with him or disagree with him um, about his particular politics, but the amount of guts the guy had. It's just, huh. anyone who's got guts like that, if, especially in a moment like we live in right now where people are, are so lacking in courage to do the right thing, anyone, anyone with guts like that, the way Erwin Schiff had him, huh. I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter what he's saying. I just, I honor him for the guts. And, and Peter Schiff to grow out of a, a tree like that, this is a, I, I will honor Honor Peter Schiff for a long time, no matter how much I disagree with him, just because he's Erwin Schiff's son. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, uh, I actually had I had the opportunity of sending Erwin Schiff one of my large print books. I I published large print editions um, of libertarian books, and Carl Wattner, who recently passed away at the the Voluntarist, he asked me to send him a version of one of his books that I I published in large print. He asked me to send it to him. And he gave me his prison address and everything, and I, I had it shipped right to him 
Um, so that, I thought that was kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. What do you remember? What text it was. It was I must speak out by Carl Wattner. It, it's kind of a collection of a bunch of his essays and some other essays from the Voluntarist Journal. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's at voluntarist.com. Um, so it's, you know, it's just full of voluntarist thought. And I don't know if Erwin Schiff requested it or if he was just sending it to him or what, but he asked me to do that. And he, so it was kind of cool when I was filling, cause I, I ordered them just online and they're all print on demand. And so when I was putting in the shipping address, I was typing Erwin Schiff in the prison location and all that stuff. I was thinking this is kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So face masks in one lesson. This is, this is a, this is a big book and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that you were able to put such a big book together on this. I mean, I know there's, um, there's some addendum stuff at the back, some appendix stuff, I should say. Um, but you still got a lot in here and it's, it's really thorough. (laughs) What, why, why did you, why, what, what made you decide to, to do this, um, such a large effort? Yeah, I uh, I write at LouRockwell.com quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, what Lou Rockwell will do is really wonderful for for a writer. If you ask me, is there's not a comment section. He'll put the writer's email address in there um, and encourage readers to write the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you're intellectually inconsistent about something, you don't have a comment section that you can ignore easily. Light up, lambasting you. Your, your inbox lights up and it's just fantastic. And it's such a good audience to kind of write for, for this reason, if you ask me, uh, among others. Um, but uh, when the lockdown started, I was an important issue to me was how do I continue to kind of live as free of a life as possible in the midst of this? And I was out there wearing no mask and uh, living life. I was probably living life, not locked down, essentially. Um, and uh, I was writing about those topics. So, so many people were writing me with concerns about how do I go to the grocery store with no mask? Well, I knew how to do it because I'd been doing it. And how do I go to the, how do I get on an airplane with no mask? <clears throat> so um, the book, the book, there was a real natural demand for kind of a, a how to, how to never wear a face mask again. This just kind of came up over and over again. Um, and it, people wanted it. That's why I wrote it. And I care about the topic very much. And I think it says a lot about a person if they can get away with wearing no face mask. Um, and the more the more we can kind of push that issue, the, the better it is, I think. Because what I worry is if you can figure out right now how to not wear a face mask, if some screwy idea like a vaccine mandate comes along, I think you're working the muscles to be able to say no to that. Or I think you're working the muscles to, to be able to say no to the next screwy government thing. And I'm not trying to say everyone's got to wear no face mask all the time or anything like that. But this is just an opportunity in front of us right now to kind of say, hey, I'm drawing a line. This accept this behavior is acceptable. That behavior is not acceptable to me. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to give away the farm or anything. Um, you've got you have a small introduction and then you have it's kind of it's kind of arranged like Hazlitt's economics in one lesson. It has the lesson and it's Thank you for noticing that. I'm very <laughs> honored. Yeah. And it has it has a few few pages on that, and then it says the lesson applied, and then it's giving you all these examples. Um, how much can you tell me about the lesson? I don't know if I mean it's not like uh, I mean the when it comes to economics in one lesson, the lesson is is really not this huge thing. It's kind of a small thing, um, but you you do talk about different methods of things you can do, where you could just I mean there's uh, there's probably even more methods we could think of of, of getting people to to you know, back down on asking us to put a mask on, but there's kind of some, some general things there. Um, I don't know. What can you tell me about it? Let's give away the farm. It's okay. I'm, okay. I, there's so much. In the book, I, I won't feel if we talked for two hours about the farm, I think there's still be a lot more for people. Well, um, let, let's, let's do the lesson and then let's just do a couple of examples like, like airplanes. That's kind of an interesting one and maybe something else. Um, so basically I, I think it's good to, uh, avoid conflict at the compliance checkpoint. And if people, so many people are writing me saying, Hey, uh, I really needed some groceries today and I really don't want to wear a face mask. So I, I just start yelling at the, the door and I'm like, you're not going to mask me. And they start yelling about, you know, sovereignty or, or natural rights. And 
the stories I heard over and over again were that doesn't work. It doesn't work to show up in a door and start yelling at someone, say, let me in, let me in. Um, sometimes it works. So for, for people who had to get across a compliance checkpoint, um, something that works is simply to, to take the conflict elsewhere and to try to kind of turn it down a little. And that could just be a, a quick phone call to a manager saying, hey, um, I'm not able to wear a face mask safely. Um, I'd still like to come by today shopping. I was thinking about 2 p.m. That work for you? And this works like 19 out of 20 times that that right there, that conversation gets the job done. And then there's way more in the book to kind of talk about what the other 5% of interactions might look like. But that right there, just three minute conversation with a manager, that goes a long way. And, you know, I'm not asking anyone, I get three minutes is like, that's inconvenient. You don't want to spend three minutes wasting your time on nonsense, but I'm not, I'm not asking you. it allows you to live a more free life. I'm not asking you to storm Omaha Beach. I'm not telling you, hey, that's going to save your freedom to storm Omaha Beach. I'm not telling you, you got to spend your Christmas, Merry Christmas, by the way, you got to spend your Christmas in a fetid French trench somewhere. I'm not telling you that's going to save your liberty. But with this little three minutes of effort, you can you can have a little bit more liberty in your, your life, I, I firmly believe. So so I I like that that phrase, I'm not safely, I'm not able to safely wear a mask. It kind of it kind of puts it in this realm of it would be rude of you to ask any follow up questions to that, right? Yeah, that's a good one. I like that you said rude just now. You didn't. A lot of people in response to that they'll say, "Hey, if they ask a follow up question, that violates HIPAA. If they ask a follow up question, that violates the Americans with Disabilities Act." But at the root of this kind of privacy around medicine is a sense of decency. And and right now, Skylar, you just said you were you were saying, "Hey." Um, It'd be rude to ask more. You 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 went to the root of the issue of privacy just there by saying rude. I like that a lot instead of you going to the ADA. Well, I, I think I think that's our I I think um I think that's our our primary that's the primary form of regulation that we as individuals have is our own consciousness consciousness right and the idea that I'm going to ask follow up questions when you say you can't safely do something I don't know it does it's just like it would be it would be rude and it would also be awkward because I don't know what this person is going to say and it could be really embarrassing for me if he says something that's just you know now he's got to say it now it's it's in the air and I got to sit with that and it's something horrible or seemingly horrible it's like now now I don't want to embarrass myself I don't want to be rude and it kind of tick, ticks off both those boxes and people people have sent me things. I don't ask to hear about people's conditions, but I've heard about some conditions that I never imagined existed. And these are conditions that people won't talk with their doctors about because the doctors are just, doctors have been trained to be some real jerks sometimes. And instead of representing the patient, they kind of represent the, the concept of compliance in society. Um, so people write me about some conditions saying, I'm afraid to talk to my doctor about it. I don't even want to mention it. I haven't ever said this to my doctor and I'm having this problem. What the heck do I do so I don't have to talk to my doctor about it and I can still go grocery shopping without a mask? And it's like horrible. You would never, you would never imagine that this is a serious problem in life. But I hear this over and over again. You sound, you sound actually concerned in helping me as an individual, Alan. My doctor has no concern of that nature, which is really a wonderful opportunity. 2020 is a wonderful opportunity to get a good doctor. It's, it's, and to get rid of the bum, the bum you have who wants to do, uh, impose someone else's will on you instead of trying to figure out what's good for the patient. So the, the other um, method here, so there's, there's, okay, so it says method one, just stop and don't acknowledge the existence of, mass, of face masks and just live life normally. And I think most of the time when you're outside, at least here in my town, that's easy to do. Nobody's, nobody's harassing you or demanding you wear a mask when you're outside. It doesn't, it doesn't become an issue until you go inside um, somebody's business, either a grocery store or a restaurant. And like I said at the, the top of, of this conversation, that's what I do all day long is in and out of restaurants. Um, so, for, so you know, for the most part, unless you're going into a business, yeah, it's easy to, to live life normally and you can just pretend like masks aren't a thing. And, you know, the, the people you see outside, most of them also have brought their t- taken their masks off and they don't it doesn't come back on until they go inside a place. It's kind of a. It's kind of treated as a as a key to entry, right? I can't get in here without this key. Um, so, and then method two is just stop and ask for, for permission all along the way, and that 
I mean, it for me, it's kind of like I am I am a peacemaker, and I don't want to I don't want to cause conflict, and I don't want to, things getting heated. I just don't want to go about my day getting into it with people. Mm-hmm. So you know, just just to do what I need to do. It's like I said, it's a little bandana mask. I just pop it up on my ears and I do keep it under my nose and nobody ever says anything about that. So I have it halfway on, I guess. And that's fine. And and then, of course, if there are issues to doing it, then you would have to stop and ask for permission all along the way. And that's annoying. And then he says, method three, invoke an exemption. What What is this? Yeah, this is uh, this is my least favorite method. Um, I think far more. And the book is about this. The book is uh, about how to invoke an exemption and. It's not the book's about many more things, but this is an important focus of the book. Um, far more ideal to me is you having a conversation with a business owner and saying, "Hey, this mask is nonsense, and I really don't want to shop with you if uh, that's how you're going to treat me. Um, you got to make you got to make room for me. That's it. Not everyone's willing to have that conversation right now. That that's a I don't know why. I have I have some theories about why people feel the need to have a piece of paper to cling on to the need to have a law to cling on to. Um, but, uh, invoking well, I, exemption I, is, I think for a lot yeah. of these, these businesses, they're just, they're just, they're just trying not to get attacked by the state. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of these are the state saying you've got to enforce this for us or we're going to yeah. come and, and we're going to fine you and take you to civil court and whatever. And there's 3000 counties in the U S no one's ever known who the head of the County health department is because no one cares suddenly there are these major impacts on our life that can shut down any business that can uh, fine you for, for having too many people in your home, things like this. And it's craziness. So I, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. That's, that's this kind of choke point that, that business owners are experiencing. Um, something, something that's super useful to do is to read the County health order regarding face masks. And it'll probably take you 10 minutes. And in the County health order, you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. Another useful thing to do is to read the health, health, uh, requirements, the the face mask requirements of the business you're going to. And any business over a certain size is going to have it written up by a lawyer. It's not going to be uh, three three sentences stuck to a door. It's going to be 10 pages long, and it'll be incredibly useful because what you're going to see in there are things like uh, in, in tyrannical Michigan, you're going to see these uh, face mask orders a mile wide, exemptions a mile wide that say things like, if you have, uh, if you're in a religious service, you're exempt from wearing a face mask. Um, when you're voting, you're exempt from wearing a face mask. The 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 status needed their their worship service at the voting booth to also be included in the same way. They have the same exemptions. Um, in in Sonoma County, California, if uh, a face mask causes you to have difficulty breathing, which is really a lot of people, um, you don't need to wear a face mask. So by just looking at the order. Um, you're going to find a lot of room that you may fit in. Um, and that may be an easy, low conflict way to, to get through the day with no mask. And this is, this applies to really millions of Americans. The book goes through some examples of conditions that may be considered exempt. It goes through some examples of face mask orders and really like basic to me is read that face mask order. Something I don't like about reading the face mask order is you're giving this bureaucrat, this backroom bureaucrat who invented, who created this face mask order a little bit more kind of momentum in life that I don't think that bureaucrat deserves, but you also kind of have a lifeline back to sanity here where you can say, look, look at this piece of paper, look at paragraph number eight. It says that I can actually go into your business and it's totally fine. Look, see paragraph number eight says, there's no problem with me entering this business. Look, the county can't get after you. I have an exemption from the county. Do you see this right here? Paragraph number eight, that goes a long way. It really, it puts a lot of people at ease right now. Interesting. So let's, um, I was just looking at this list of places you talk about and two of them stand out. Well, I guess three of them, two of them are related um, in government buildings and at jury duty. <laughs> I'm thinking, I think there's no way. I mean, that's, that's where this all started. There's no way they're going to not let you not make you wear a mask in, in a government building. Um, so there's a long history of, of government making exemptions for people um, with with medical conditions, uh, there's very detailed procedure of this around this, and uh, the mom and pop store aren't going to have detailed procedures around face mask face mask exemptions. 
Um, some of them to this day may not have even had anyone walk in the door and say, I can't wear a face mask. Um, a government building is going to be a different story, though. There's, there's going to be an ADA officer. There's going to be uh, three different levels of accommodations. If someone says this, they're supposed to get this kind of accommodation. If someone says this, they're supposed to get this kind of accommodation. I don't like the government solutions to these things. But in reality, if you need to get into a government building, there's decades of government handling someone walking up to the door and saying, I need an accommodation to this requirement you have. And this is just extreme in the amount of accommodation government provides others. Um, so to just assume, to just assume, hey, it's government, government's pretty evil, government's caused all this trouble. Yes, the right hand of government has caused some trouble. The left hand of government seldom knows what the right hand's doing. Government's very confused. People, two different offices, uh, one office away from each other often don't know what's going on in the next office. With any bureaucrat, you just have to say the right things to the right person and doors will open for you magically. Um, so if you want to go to jury duty uh, and you need to do it maskless, I firmly believe there's a way for that to happen. And I know any court building uh, should be able to be entered with a person not wearing a mask if they have the right reasons for it. And that's, that's it. It's just talking to the right bureaucrat about the right thing, which is annoying and a waste of life and a waste of resources. To me, more annoying is to slowly give up my freedom day after day until I suddenly wake up and realize that I've given it all away. And sometimes it's not the oppressor's fault that you're so oppressible. So, so if you just got to take freedom. So if we have, if we can invoke an exemption, do we've got to get some sort of official documentation stating the exemption, either from a doctor or from a bureaucrat? Yeah, no one, if maybe one, one out of 200 people will ask me, can I see your doctor's note? Um, to which I will often say, uh, you know, my doctor's note mentions my medical condition on it. I do not want to show that to you. I'm sorry. Um, sometimes people want to see my doctor's note on my phone and no one wants to touch my phone. My phone's small. I don't let them read the details of it. It's none of their business. Um, but this is a very, almost anyone who even asks, do you have a doctor's note? They just want you to say, yes, you have a doctor's note. They want to be able to check the box in their head so that they can get through their day without getting fired. Um, do you need some kind of documentation from someone? Uh, there are situations where you might end up needing documentation from someone, but overwhelmingly, over far, 95% of the time you can get through by just asking, just telling the manager, hey, I, I need to, to come by, I can't wear a mask safely. Better than 99% of the time, you're gonna end up with getting through the door without having to show anything without anyone even asking about anything, any kind of doctors, no, any kind of verification. And that's, and that, that probably also speaks to the thing we talked about before with, with not wanting to be rude. It's like, I can't safely wear a mask. I have a doctor's note. And then if they say, can I, you know, I, I think mostly they won't say, can I see it? I think some people may not realize what else could be on that doctor's note. They might just think it's a, it's a doctor's note. Like you're, you'd get when you'd miss school as a kid, you know, like, please excuse Please excuse Alan from wearing a face mask this evening. He's he has a condition. You know, it's not going to be. People kind of think that's what it's going to be like, but it's pretty easy, I guess. Like you said, you could just say the note has information about my condition that's sensitive to me, and I'd rather not show you. You know, and they're probably not going to go further than that as far as arguing about it. You know what I mean? Because again, it's that it's that 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 innate desire not to be rude and, 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 and not to embarrass themselves that kind of prevents that, I think, most of the time, like you say. The, the state of Michigan even goes so far to, to reference that same order as before. They even go so far as to say uh, that there's no need to ask for a doctor's note, that, that there's an honor system. If someone says, I have an exemption, that that should be honored. Has, have you, um, do you have any experience with saying it like that? It, I mean, there's, there's, I can't safely wear a mask, and then there's, I have an exemption. Um, those are kind of different things that that say the same thing, but they're they're different. Do you have experience with with both of those? If you're in a more tense situation, uh, if you're at the compliance checkpoint, if you say the phrase uh, "I have a medical exemption from the county," in a more tense environment, that's way more effective than uh, "I'm unable to wear a face mask safely." And sometimes you just end up at the checkpoint accidentally, not realizing that a checkpoint is suddenly going to appear around you. 
Um, but I, I have an exemption from the county is very effective. If you've had a conversation with a manager at that store ever in the past, you should just keep that manager's name with you. Um, the way, the way I keep important keys, I, I treat my, the manager's names of the stores I frequent as just as safely. Um, and if anyone ever gives me a hard time in one of those stores, I point out that I've talked talk to Charles about the matter. And this is another way that immediately opens doors. To just be able to name drop a manager. Oh, this guy knows Charles too. Charles is kind of a jerk. This guy might even know Charles is kind of a jerk. This, but he knows Charles. So he know, I, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to lose my job today for sticking my neck out for this jerk who I've never met. Right? You're, you're, just by saying the manager's name, there's so many doors you're opening right there and making it okay. Similarly, by pointing out that you have an exemption from the county, and the exemption from the county is written in the, the orders. Um, I point out you have an exemption from the county. You, you similarly can open, open some doors for yourself and reduce the tension. Okay. So this, this answers the question, how can I get in the door and not be, or not, not necessarily not be bothered, but at least get through the, whatever checkpoints there might be in order to, to go along with either shopping or doing whatever I'm doing there uh, with, with minimal hassle without a mask on. But what about when just other customers like yourself, like the other day I was at Target, we were doing some Christmas shopping and we all had our masks on. And again, mine's under my nose and I'm just like minding my own business. And I can hear from this guy who's not even really facing me. He just says loudly, cover your nose. And then he, <laughs> he proceeds to sort of slowly meander off. Like he wasn't brave enough to come up and get my attention and and give me his preference about how I wear my mask. He just sort of said it loudly because he he had an idea that I would hear it and then that would be enough. <laughs> and I just I heard it and I kind of just pretended I didn't hear it, you know, and just kind of went along, you know, went along do, doing whatever I was doing, looking for whatever I was looking for. But it kind of stuck with me like, wow, this guy, he's got if I if I could say balls just big enough to say it, but not to get up in my face about it. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but some people I've, you know, I've heard stories of some people getting pretty, pretty heated about it towards other people. And that guy, uh, he's being passive aggressive and right. passive is it's the opposite of having balls. It's, uh, being able to have a serious conversation. Hey, I'm feeling this way about what you're doing. What do you think of that? Right. That, that conversation, civilization is built around the ability to have that conversation. This is all the wonderful things around us are built because someone Two people over and over again were able to have that kind of conversation from marriages to, to houses. That was it. That's it. That little thing. And that guy with his passive aggression, that guy undermines everything our civilization's built upon. It's really horrific. So, like, this uh, right now is such an important moment where people who, who see what's going on around them, they need to be able to leave. And a little whisper from a weenie like that guy, whatever. Someone having a bad day who wants to get up in your face, whatever. You're gonna. There have been people who, since 9/11, they've uh, they've been going through TSA checkpoints and they've been getting such a runaround and they've been having such a hard time. And they saw, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, whenever it started, uh, the government, some wise person, had the idea: Hey, let's have everyone who travels put up their hands in the air. Like we're pointing a gun at them. Let's have them go do the I surrender pose, the pose of submission to the great state. Let's have them do that. How would that be? And there were people when that when that began who said, I'm I'm never gonna do that. That's silly. That doesn't work. It does nothing to protect anyone. And I am showing submission, which I don't want to. I don't want to submit to the state or to this uh this less than ideal person who has been given a badge and is now yelling orders at me and calling me a baby killer. At TSA, I don't want to do that. So those people, those people who've been traveling 40 flights a year back and forth and have never done the pose of submission, but figured out what's the loophole? How do I never do the I surrender pose? What's the loophole there? How do I, how do I uh, get through that? And there are, there are numerous loopholes. Um, that person, when face masks came along, they had been building those muscles all along. They saw these face mask orders and they said, these are nonsense. I'm going to figure out the loophole like that. It's not going to matter what uh, pimply faced dude yelling at me, the bag boy who's now called a frontline worker and who's told that he's saving civilization. 
I'm not going to be threatened or cowed by him. Um, and at any moment, any of us can say, hey, we're going to stand up. We're going to say no more. Enough's enough. And some people did that in March. Some people are doing that today. They're saying, I'm not doing this face mask anymore. And that's how lockdowns end. Lockdowns don't end because some 38-member Blue Ribbon panel says, okay, in in 14 days, this can happen. And after this many PCR tests uh, have been negative, this can happen. This is nonsense. Lockdowns end one person at a time as people stop complying. And face masks in one lesson is written to kind of get one person at a time to stop complying. That guy at Target, that dude's a weenie. That dude's must be laughed off, brushed off your shoulder, and uh, your your son should be told, son, that's the way we never want to act in life. Yeah, yeah. See, see, <laughs> point him out. See that guy? No. Um. Yeah, and no, I think I was alone when that happened. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, the passive aggressiveness. It's if if he had if he had, I'm just thinking, just you know how we operate psychologically. If he had come up to me. And earnestly said something like, I'm feeling really unsafe right now. He probably could have guilted me into to covering my nose. You know what I mean? Like that that probably would have worked, at least until he walked away and then I'd pull it back down. So it's kind and of interesting. But there's the the I, I start the book with a study from Zhao uh that appeared in Emerging Infectious Disease, which is a CDC Journal of Epidemiology. Uh, May 2020, so a few weeks after the CDC said, now everyone must wear masks, um, this article appears. And Zhao, uh, a doctor out of Hong Kong, her and her team said, COVID can be, might be this really huge thing that's going to affect us for a long time. How do we figure out what's superstition, what's real? And how do we figure out what are the efficacious things we can be doing? We have to figure this out as quickly as possible, stop doing the superstition as quickly as possible, focus on what works. And Zhao, this is the best study of the year by far on this topic. Zhao looks at 14 randomized controlled trials uh, with laboratory confirmed results and says uh, face masks don't work to stop the spread of COVID. They don't stop work to stop the spread of uh, other respiratory viruses. They even say, if you're not using the face mask properly, you may be helping to spread COVID-19. And they say what improper use would be. They say they say things like, on the the cover of my book, I list out, I list out some of the, the improper uses from that study. They say things like, if you're touching your mask while, while wearing it, you need to change that mask right away. If you're uh, putting the mask on with dirty hands, you got to change it right away. If the mask is not sterile when you're putting it on, you need a new mask. Uh, masks are single use only. If you wear the mask long enough that uh, your breath causes it to be moist, you need to change the mask out. It, it stops being efficacious. So Zhao, no one no one follows these kinds of policies. Instead, we're getting this idea that the, the this bandana you wear to, to deal with it, right? You're just like, I'll wear this stupid bandana because it's better than all these other options. The idea that someone is saying, oh, that bandana is just as good as uh, the, the an N95 mask that is clean, right? It's preposterous. And then on top of it being based in zero science, they take it a step further and say, they, they moralize on top of it. They say, you want to kill granny if you won't wear your dirty bandana. If you won't put your dirty bandana, this man in target, if you won't put your dirty bandana one centimeter up higher above your nose, then you must be killing granny and you must be a bad dude. Total nonsense. You know, it's, 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 it's funny. Um, we, we were supposed to go to my parents today for some Christmas Eve festivities. We, we typically, with my family, we go to some new blockbuster and then we go we go to dinner and we exchange you know sibling gifts and that's what we do for christmas eve that's what we've done since i was little this year because none of the theaters are open here yet uh, other than renting the full theater out which everything's already taken we looked into it we decided just to go to my parents house order some some pickup from some restaurant i think we picked red robin and we'd pick that up and then we do a white elephant gift exchange game that's and that's pretty fun but then a couple days ago one of my siblings um who's you know higher risk for this for for reasons um requested that while we play the game if we can all wear our masks and sanitize our hands because we're going to start you know moving stuff around and i just politely said look we're going to bow out this year you know we'll see you on christmas and then it kind of turned into this big this big 
you know, text message, group text message fight. <laughs> Me saying, look, I'm not doing that. I'm not encouraging my kids to do that. It's my day off. I'm on vacation. I'm with family. I wear a mask all day long. I'm not, I'm not wearing a mask. Anyway, so in an, in an attempt to change my mind, my dad, you know, and I was texting with him kind of separately, and he personally doesn't care about the masks either. Um, he thinks he's immortal. <laughs> he probably is, but um, he was just, he was kind of given this example. He's like, if, if the only way you could see a family member was to wear a tinfoil hat that, you know, between you and me is obviously ridiculous. It doesn't do anything. Would you, would you wear the hat to see the family member? And I said, well, context matters. Is this a fa- is this, is this a beloved family member I haven't seen in years and I won't see in years and they're on their deathbed or something? I probably put on the tinfoil hat just to see them. But, but really the broader point was, in so many ways, these masks are really no different than wearing a tinfoil hat, right? And that's that's what it is, because because my my bandana mask that I use, it's not an N95 anything. It's just something I got on Amazon. It's it's two layers of just cotton or whatever, polyester maybe, and it's on and off. And sometimes I cough or I clear my throat. Sometimes I sneeze, and I'm like, oh great, now it's moist. So I pull it down and I kind of let it dry in the air. And maybe once a week, I'll spray it with something like a, a, an antibacterial thing, whatever, you know, the sprays, the Lysol type thing. But, you know, I don't wash it very often. It's not stinky or anything. So to me, it's just like it's just an article of clothing that until it bothers me, I'm not going to wash it. So it's probably got all kinds of diseases in there. <laughs> it's very common. What you just described is very common. Yeah, I was going to say, I see a lot of people with just these polyester type masks, whether they're bandanas or whatever these reusable masks. And I highly, I mean, maybe they're spraying it with Lysol every day, but I highly doubt they're not, they're touching it a lot, right? I'm constantly adjusting it, pulling it off and on, and I'm opening doors and getting gas for my car. I'm constantly touching everything and then taking it on and off. And I consider myself low risk. In fact, I think I've already had it. I don't know for sure. Um, so I'm, it's just, it's just not a worry for me. And it's, it's just this weird civil ritual that I got to do to do my job. And I don't know, I, because I, I'm hitting the same businesses every day, it might be difficult for me to now try to invoke some kind of an, an exemption <laughs> that I didn't invoke, you know, nine months ago <laughs> because they know me. But then again, right now it's cold outside. It kind of keeps my face warm. So it's not a big deal for me. Um, but, you know, I do go places I haven't been before. So I'll have to, I'll have to try some of that out. But anyway. What, what, that's, are, that's are you, you, are you, are you, I mean, what, what are some of the, since, since you've really started doing this for yourself, what are some, what are some of the, the hardest times you've had doing this? Uh, you just, it's dependent on the other person. You know, the hard stuff is dependent on the other person is, is the person going to be, here's where it starts to look like it's not about anyone's health. It's about compliance and it's about control. Is the other person you're talking to really concerned? Are they concerned about my safety or their safety? Or are they going to say an N95 is the same as a, a polypropylene mask, surgical mask is the same as uh, a face shield is the same as a neck breather? If someone's going to say that, they're either misinformed or they're really obsessed with control. Um, and that person doesn't deserve the kind of input in their life that in your life that they, that they have at that moment, if they're able to control you. Um, the hardest things for me have been when people who had that kind of access in my life have that kind of control have clearly crossed the line and wanted to exert control. Um, I've, I've gone through, I've gone through, uh, a few relationships, uh, during this process that, that I was very happy with in the past. Um, but it, it's, it's given me the gift of a litmus, a litmus test. Um, and I've learned some things about, about people that I, uh, interacted with in the past. <sighs> I've, I've gotten notes that I've loved where, for example, a lady in Arizona, when she has someone coming onto her property to work on the cable, for example, she'll write the cable company a note saying masks are not allowed on my property. Masks make it harder for a person to breathe. Masks increase the likelihood that someone's going to faint. I'm not going to let someone come onto my property wearing a mask and increase my liability the chance, with the chance that they might faint on my property. I demand that this be enforced and that your uh, employee not wear a mask on the property. 
people like that are sticking up for employees. I, I feel bad for the situation you're in because uh, there's not a moment right now where people are saying, I'm not, I'm not going to, not only am I not going to wear a mask, I'm going to go yell at the manager a little bit for making these 43 cashiers wear a mask because they shouldn't have to either. I've gotten that kind of note that that's, that's a hobby someone has. He never wears a mask. And then every time he goes into a business, he makes sure that the manager gets an earful from him about why the employees should have to wear a mask when it does so much harm to them as well. Um, well, it didn't answer the question very well, but this is, this is the, the direction I've been heading more. No, no, that's great. I was going to say with, with the lady who, or when, when you are inviting, um, you know, power company employees or whatever onto your, onto your property, I think it's also important that you, you get a clear picture of their face, right? Mm. I, I mean, you never want, you never want somebody like that to be a threat to you, mm-hmm. but if you've got, if you've got cameras on your property that pick up a lot of, you know, the area, you know, doorbell camera, that kind of stuff, but everybody's going around wearing, wearing masks. What's the point of the camera? What's the point in being able to see somebody's face who may be a criminal if you can't see anybody's faces? It's like, there's, there's other kinds of safety reasons besides the ones you talk about to not wear masks. And it's, and it's so that we can see each other's faces. That's also important. If, if someone's going to, if someone is going to be a safety issue to you, their, their face is going to telegraph that message long before they become a safety issue to you. Um, and this is, we have, we have for a long time used our faces to communicate every, uh, over and over again, children hear things about how it's important to smile. It's important to look people in the eyes. It's important to have a good handshake. These, these nonverbals have been understood by our society for a long time. And, and parents who know better always teach their children, make sure you're looking someone in the eye when you shake their hand. Uh, make sure you're smiling when you meet a new person, right? Things like this are just natural for a loving parent to teach. And suddenly in 2020, make sure you wear a mask in, in, comp- in a polite company from now on. The, again, this, this important foundation of society has suddenly been leveled. And for what reason is not clear? For what, what were the lies that need to be told to the American people for them to say, okay, faces are no longer important to show to others? Or what is, what is the lie? If you would have asked me a year ago, the church is open, are this bulwark to our liberty? Churches being open, Christians exhibiting their liberties are a bulwark to my liberty, even if it has nothing to do with me going to church. It protects me. And in my mind, nothing would have ever closed churches in the United States. There would have been no reason that anyone could have been convinced to close a church. In the USSR, they couldn't even close the churches. They weren't able to. It was a publicly atheist state. They weren't able to close the churches because they could never give the people a reason to say, for the people to say, yes, we should have those churches closed. It just wouldn't happen. However, in the United States, churches closed. They closed on, on, on uh, uh, Easter even. And continue to be closed in many parts of the country. This year, what is the narrative that needs to be delivered in order for us to part with these very fundamental parts of our civilization? It's being delivered right now. And people who know better need to be saying, no, no more. You're not doing this in my life. And I don't need anyone to change the whole world. I don't need anyone to pretend that they're going to change the whole world. There's this wonderful essay. You may have read it, Isaiah's Job uh, by Nock. And it talks about it talks about, it's a 20-minute read. I strongly recommend it. It talks about uh, how some people want to start mass movements. You don't need to start a mass movement. All you need to do is worry about yourself. All you need to do is free yourself. And when you do that, that might ripple out a little bit. That might free your family. That might free a few people around you. If it frees more people, great. If it doesn't, so what? It's all about you. Just be the best you can be. That's it. If you can do that, when they come with the vaccine, you're going to be ready for it. When they come with who knows what, what Bill Gates, weird Bill Gates idea, you're going to be ready for it because you did that hard practice. Like those people, instead of sitting in bed for 20 years, when government said after 9-11, we got this, get back to bed, child. No, instead of sitting in bed for 20 years and doing every ridiculous thing they were told to do at TSA, like the I surrender pose, they, uh, they've been working, practicing those muscles. This is a gift. 2020 is a gift. We get to work and practice our muscles, work our muscles out right now. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I love that. Why don't we end there? I've I've had you over an hour. This was great, Alan. I'm glad that I'm glad that you reached out to me. I it was it was kind of out of the blue, and I'm, I'm glad that we uh, connected. Hey, Skyler, thank you. So I'll uh, I'll link I'll link to your stuff. I'll link to your book. Um, I don't remember 
you had a website. Was it your name.com or? No, you can link to the, the Amazon page. That'll do the job. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Sounds good, man. Well, hey, um, this is, I didn't say it at the beginning because I usually don't in these in, in, uh, conversations, but today is Christmas Eve. So I hope you have, um, to the best of your ability, have a, have a fantastic Christmas. Hey, Skyler, thank you. Merry Christmas. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.